Our scripture this morning is Matthew 5, 21 through 37. It's a little bit lengthy. We've got three, you could say four, um, four commands in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read through them. Matthew 5, 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard, it, heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is, foot, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, we tell you the truth, we need your word. And we thank you for answering in the truth of your word, who is Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Um, mi amigos de Venezuela, lo siento. Uh, no es todo en español. Uh, más, uh, uh, Okay, 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 gracias. Um, there's a little community that we talk a lot about in this church in uh, Les Chambon, France. It's a rocky plateau in rural France, and it's been a kind of inspiration to us over the years and to others. A big reason why they became really well-known to a lot of people, especially in America, is because there was a Jewish filmmaker who made a film about them. And that Jewish filmmaker would not 
uh, be alive were it not for that community. Him and 5,000 other refugees during World War II. So he makes this film, and one of the things that surprised most people about this community was whenever they were asked, how did you do it? You know, how did you pull off? You know, you're only a town of 500 people. How did you pull off 5,000 refugees getting rescued? Uh, they were almost annoyed or even offended by the question. They just sort of shrugged and said, well, of course, like, what, what else would you do? Um, next. Uh, it didn't make sense to them that anyone would imagine doing anything different. It was not only possible to harbor and rescue 5,000 Jews, but it was kind of natural or common where it wasn't for many others. How did they get there? Some people have some ideas. This community has been studied a fair amount. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount is one of the biggest reasons uh, why they responded the way they did. For them, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't some sort of unattainable ideal. It wasn't um, reserved for super-Christians. The church in Le Chambon had taken to studying the Sermon on the Mount for years, um, studied it weekly in small groups. And what it revealed to them was life a way of being in the world. It brought them nearer to God and it strengthened their community and so they got to the point where they couldn't imagine living any other way. This is just the way you live, the Sermon on the Mount. Lots of communities of disciples have made this uh, text, the Sermon on the Mount, their sort of Magna Carta, you know, their, their own Declaration of Independence, but more like a Declaration of Dependence. And as a result, they have done exactly what Jesus says. They have become salt and light for the world around them. Because this is what's at stake in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's just be really, really clear about this. God says, I want the whole world to know about me. And I've chosen a group of people to reveal me to the world. And that's called the church. It was called Israel and now it's called the church. So we have an option. When we're confronted with what's, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, we can decide to do it or not. We're free to do it or not. But if we don't, what's at stake is how the world looks at God. If we wonder why the world doesn't see God clearly, it may be because the church is taking the light of God and putting it under a bushel. It may be because the salt has lost its savor. This is the savor of God. This is the light of God revealed through his people. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with two of the most powerful emotions that we can ever have, anger and lust. And I, I sort of love that he begins here because he gets right to the heart of it. Like he starts with conflict. You know, a lot of communities and churches will start with like a vision statement or uh, what are our values or whatever. But like none of that matters if people are fighting. And so Jesus says, you know, the first thing we're going to talk about is when people fight. That's the very first thing we're going to talk about. The teaching about anger doesn't say don't ever be angry. It says don't let your anger become come between you and somebody else. 
And that might be something you've done to them or it might be something they have done to you. There's no like legal parsing of words here. Um, you know, he, 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 takes, he takes something that everybody agrees on. We all know murder is terrible, okay? But it's sort of a fringe situation. Very few of us are actively, regularly engaged in murder. I mean, it's not zero, but not that common. So he takes something that's sort of on the fringe and he does this with a lot of the other ones too. He takes something sort of on the fringe and then he brings it into, this is everything. This is our whole, this is all of our interaction with each other. Um, he says, it's not okay to verbally attack people. It's not okay to insult them. So if you're angry, deal with it. Don't leave it up to the courts and crucially, don't wait until after the church service. The part about the church service takes us right back to salt and light. Imagine hypothetically, you know, this is just in the pure realm of theory, a church that has some bickering going on, but continues on with its normal church services. Okay, imagine that were possible. What does that say to the world? What does that project to the world? Does what you do on Sunday, does that worship make any difference in your relationship with each other or other people? That's what's at stake here. So that's, that's where he starts. He starts with anger. He starts with reconciliation and the importance of doing that. Next, Jesus brings up this other powerful emotion that we all experience. One is anger. The other one is lust. Lust and then infidelity or unfaithfulness. And here too, um, all of this emotion is really about bodies. Jesus is talking about our bodies. And I'm going to explain a little bit of what I mean by that. But let's, let's talk about what he says. He says again, um, there's more to lust than the extreme situation of adultery. Now adultery is a lot more common than murder. But it's still not a situation that every single one of us have experience with. And so... So when we talk about adultery, we're talking about, you know, a section of people. But when we talk about unchecked desire, we're talking about everybody. And that's where Jesus extends it to. I will say, though, he is singling out guys. He is definitely singling out guys here. Part of that is cultural, because when a guy divorced a woman, he put her in an extremely vulnerable spot. And Jesus is moving in to try to protect her and her status and her situation. So there, there is a sort of cultural thing going on here, but we can also look at this in terms of the larger, um, the larger idea of unchecked desire and ultimately what marriage is. Uh, so famously, and I, I talked to the kids about it, he says, look, if you've got unchecked uh, desires, you know, if, you're, if your eye is doing something that your eye is not supposed to be doing, pluck it out. If your hand does something that your hand shouldn't be doing, cut it off, sever it. It's, it's some graphic language and it got their attention and hopefully it gets our attention. The question to ask in this context is what happens to marriage in this situation? Well, one of the things it does, um, one, of the th one of the things it does is it tells us that marriage isn't necessary in order to live a complete and fulfilled life and existence. It says that um, the, the, the idea here is that um, God, through the church, gives us a body. He gives us multiple bodies, actually. 
So one of the bodies he gives us is the blood and the um, body of Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper. And he says, partake of that. And we get the gift of God's body. Another body he gives us is through scripture. Scripture is the body of God's people in time. So we get a whole history, a whole story of people that we get to be connected with. And then the third body he gives us is the body of the church, of each other, of, of a community. And through these bodies that he's giving us, that he's exchanging us, he's saying, you don't have to be married in order to be fulfilled. And right away, right there, that creates a scenario where some people can choose to be single in the church, which was scandalous in Jesus's time, because to be a good Jew is to be married. But he says some people can be single and be utterly faithful to God. That, that creates a new situation. One thing it says is that we, you know, obviously we have single people. That's one thing it creates. But another thing it creates is that marriage doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all of all of who we want to be in fulfillment. It, 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 it doesn't have to um, complete us. Okay? And right there, you've, you've I, honestly, I, practically speaking, I think you've helped a lot of marriages. You've, 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 you've created a situation where a lot of marriages are, you know, now have chance to hang on. Because this is one of the things we get in trouble with, with marriage, is we look at the other person and we say, you are not enough person. Or we say, you are too much person. <laughs> um, but but um, no one is ever the right amount of person. No one is ever the perfect amount of person. Because oftentimes we don't even know what that is. And so now, so what Jesus is trying to do is he, he's just trying to create a situation where marriage is not a be-all, end-all necessity. Um, now, I'm, I'm bringing in some of Jesus' other teachings into this, not just what we have in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, frankly, we have better things to lust after. Uh, we, can, we can lust after other bodies, yes, but we can also lust after peacemaking. We can lust after faithfulness to our neighborhoods. We can long to reveal God's presence in the world. And our marriages can be more than just a fulfillment of what we lust after. Um, look at the pattern. Uh, so in the first one, it's all about reconciliation. How can we reconcile? Well, God has reconciled with us. Um, now we talk about lust and marriage. We're talking about faithfulness. And God is faithful to us. God is always going to be faithful to us. And that's, that's what we're living into. That's what we're, that's what we're moving into. When we think about marriage, we can think about this, that no matter what happens, God is going to be faithful to us. And how do we reveal that? Here's the irony in my, in my years of pastoring. I've noticed that um, I've only ever done marriages for people who remarry. Those are the only marriages I've ever done, which is, which is interesting. And what I've noticed is with those groups of people is that nobody, nobody realizes both the possibility and the practicality of marriage than people who'd want to try again, who haven't given up on it who say, you know, the first one, it didn't work out, but I still think something's possible here. Why didn't they just give up on marriage? 
Why didn't they just throw it in and say this is an impossible institution? I think it's because of this. I think it's because God is holding on to us and they believe that there is a possibility for humans to be faithful to each other. But if people don't get remarried, what we have is a community of faithfulness, a community where all of us are faithful to one another. So not just a spouse. It could be a friend to church. It could be a relative. It could be any number of things. Um, We're in a community of faithfulness. This is the body that God gives us. Marriage isn't necessary for Jesus' disciples. We have been given so much. We can live single. But if we do marry, we can do so knowing within the body of Christ are the resources for faithfulness to nurture our marriages. So that's, that's the second and, and kind of the third one um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the fourth one is about oath-keeping. Have you, anybody been doing any oaths lately? Not that common. Not, not, a, not a common thing for us to, to, to make oaths. Back then, it was a lot more common. You know, so if you, wanted, if you wanted someone to know that you were telling the truth, you wouldn't just say, I'm going to the store. You'd say... I swear by the constellation Orion that I am going to the store tomorrow. And then they're like, oh, he's probably really going to the store. That guy's going to go to the store. But if you just said, I'm going to the store, no one believed you. So again, Jesus is doing the same thing, the same pattern. He takes something that's kind of on the fringe, oath, oath, making oaths and that kind of thing. And he's bringing it into... um, He's bringing it in everyday life, and he's basically saying, don't create a situation where it's okay to lie. That's what oaths are. I swear, I swear, I promise, I promise. I'm going to do this. If we always tell the truth, we don't have to say it that way. We can just say, I'm going to do this. Um, sometimes we think that the only way to keep peace is to not tell the truth. This is how it connects with community. This is how it connects with the body. So I'll say it again. Sometimes we think that in order to keep peace, we have to withhold some truth. And I think this is why Jesus talks about truth-telling right after anger and lust. We ought to always speak truthfully because this requires a community capable of receiving the truth. And in order to be a community that's capable of receiving the truth... We have to be a community that's capable of reconciling. Because if we say the truth, eh, people are going to get upset. And if people are going to get upset, then what? Then we have to learn to reconcile. The alternative is no good. Because if we're not a community that tells the truth, then we're a community that falls apart. It brings us right back to reconciliation, and it brings us right back to being faithful to one another. Because if somebody tells us the truth and we don't like it, we still have a responsibility to be faithful to them. By telling the truth, emotions like anger and lust are not bottled up, but brought into the open to be transformed by the body of Christ. Um, There's a somewhat famous quote that uh, is relevant here. It goes... I think it was popularized by West Wing, actually, but it didn't come, it didn't come from West Wing. Uh, it's, uh, 
do not, do not think that a small group of people cannot change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Pierre Sauvage was the Jewish filmmaker who film, made the film about the people of Les Chambon. He did it because he saw the light of God in them. He saw in them what God, a, a, a picture of what God looks like. A God who reconciles, a God who is faithful, and a God who gives us the truth in the body of his son, Jesus Christ. They weren't salt and light because they were smart. They weren't because they, weren't, because they were enlightened, because they were conscious of everything going on. It was because they saw in Jesus' teaching a new reality, the kingdom of heaven on earth. They saw in Jesus' teaching the possibility of becoming a community of healing, honesty, and faithfulness. All of this is really possible. It is possible to live this way. We have examples of communities, but most importantly, we have the example of Jesus Christ, who lived everything he is preaching to his people. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled every part of this. He is our reconciliation. He is faithful to us to the end. And he is the truth. So when we walk in obedience to what Christ teaches, we are not only brought nearer to one another, but we are also brought nearer to Christ himself. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. I, I pray that it will be a, a seed in our hearts. And may it grow and bear fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.